0: I guess as the economy gets worse, obviously, the more we wake up every day, watch the news in the morning, hoping that somebody lost their job. On our end, it's wonderful. Uh, the worse it gets, the better it is for us.
1: Sometimes I try to do things, and it just doesn't work out the way I want it to. And I get real frustrated. like I try hard to do it, and I like take my time, but it just doesn't work out the way I want it to.
2: Hi, and welcome to NPR's Planet Money. I'm Laura Conaway in New York City. And I'm Khanna Jafi-Walt back in Seattle. Today is Monday, May 18th. That was repo man Shannon Hofler from the company Road Rangers you heard at the top of the podcast. Laura, today on the show, we take a look at one large government program. We heard about it a couple months back. It was supposed to help out regular folk and help the banks and help Fannie and Freddie all in one big magic chunk of change. And It's broken.
3: That sounds kind of complicated. So, we're also going to talk about fire trucks. Do not forget the fire trucks, Hannah.
2: Never. Okay, coming up, first, our planet money indicator. Right. I
3: want to do something, Hannah, that is just absolutely human. It's the indicator today is the year 1975 which is how far a new study says the recession is going to roll back economic well-being for families.
2: It's from the Foundation for Child Development that projects median family income will slide to about $55,000 in 2010. That's 3500 less than 2007.
3: You know, one part of this survey really surprised me. It's the part about single households. The ones that are headed by women are expecting an income drop of something like $2,000 which is nothing compared to the single households
2: headed by men. They're looking at being down just over $5,000. Yeah, I thought that was interesting, too. And, you know, of course, whenever you lose 5000 or 2000 a year, that affects what kind of food you eat and whether you keep up with your bills and paying your mortgage, which brings us to our main topic today. We're talking about homes. So back in February, President Obama, he stood up in Phoenix, Arizona, and he announced his plan to stem home foreclosures.
0: Through this plan, we will help between seven and nine million families restructure or refinance their mortgages so they can afford, uh, avoid foreclosure.
2: So while Mr. Obama was speaking in Phoenix, these words, Kiara and Jeff Nielsen, they were in Salt Lake City in their living room and they were watching CNN. It
4: was, um, Astonishing and wonderful to see because it seemed like it was tailor-made for us and what our problems were and our situation and that it would really be the answer to to those problems and allow us to keep our home.
2: The Nielsons bought their house in Salt Lake City in 2007, and the problem Jeff Nielsen is talking about, he lost his job at the end of last year, so he now makes 50 percent of what he made before. Jeff's a lawyer, so he still has some work, but he's you know one of those guys that doesn't have enough work, and he expects that when the recession gets better, he'll be able to make what he was making before. But for now, they're just paying their mortgage out of their savings, which... At some point, we'll run out this year.
3: And what was so astounding, Jeff told us, is that it sounded like President Obama was saying, Jeff, I have a plan for you,
2: for you exactly. Right. When he he went to look up the details and, you know, there were all these specific requirements. But Jeff went through every one of them. You got to have a mortgage owned by Fannie or Freddie. Check. You got to have a home less than $729,000. Check. And you need to be paying more than 31% of your gross income toward your mortgage, which is definitely true for Jeff and his wife. So at this moment, they're in their living room and it feels like. Obama is saying to them, you are exactly who we want to apply, and we are going to encourage your mortgage lender to want to lower your monthly payments.
0: So here's what my plan does, establishes clear guidelines for the entire mortgage industry that will encourage lenders to modify mortgages on primary residences. Any institution that wishes to receive financial uh, assistance from the government, from taxpayers, And to modify home mortgages, we'll have to do so according to these guidelines, which will be in place two weeks from today.
2: So, Jeff, you know, he immediately calls his mortgage servicer Wells Fargo. So the servicer, that's the company in between the person who owns your mortgage and the guys who collect and manage your payments. And those clear guidelines Mr. Obama was talking about hadn't quite come down yet by the time Jeff was rushing to call them. The operator didn't know anything about it. So he calls two weeks later, and he says, hello, I'd like to apply for the home modification program.
4: And the bank didn't quite know what to do with that. They didn't have their parameters in place, and they kept telling me on the phone for weeks. Um, We're still waiting for um, corporate headquarters to tell us what, uh, what the parameters will be, what the metrics will be by which we'll judge your eligibility. We're still waiting for the details. We don't know yet. We don't know anything more than you know. Just send in you know, uh, all kinds of documents. And I said, well, what do you mean? You know, What kind of documents? Well, give us stuff about your income. Send us some bank statements, pay stubs. Just send us everything you've got. And uh, we'll get to it as soon as we get the details from corporate.
2: So Jeff basically guesses what a loan servicer might want from someone applying for a home loan modification, which is a strange thing to do. And he just sends in a ton of stuff. And then three months pass, and he, you know, has only received a letter from Wells Fargo saying they got their, they got his application, but that's pretty much it. So now Jeff is calling twice a week. He calls every Monday, every Thursday. Sometimes the people are nice. Sometimes they're rude. And he has been told that someone has his file on their desk, but no one can tell him who that person is or if they've reviewed it or touched it or even brushed by it.
4: Do you remember that scene in, in uh, Kill Bill where Uma Thurman is trying to fight Lucy Liu and she wants to fight Lucy Liu, but Lucy Liu has all these henchmen. And so she has to fight all the henchmen and then she thinks she's going to get Lucy Liu and then Lucy Liu has like 50 more henchmen. And then you just can't get to Lucy Liu. But I feel like instead of being, you know, this really skilled samurai warrior, I'm like Jonathan Lipnicki trying to get through <laughs> all of these, you know, henchmen. So, like, I have no chance to get to Lucy Lou.
3: So Lucy Lou, of course, is the person who actually has Jeff's file on the desk and at some point will make some kind of a real decision about his case.
2: Exactly. And we called Wells Fargo and they said they would look into Jeff's file and let us know what was going on. Um, we've also been pushing them to tell us, you know, just how does it work? How are you choosing who gets accepted and who doesn't? So far, we haven't gotten answers, but we um, will keep pressing them on that and get back to you. So we can feel it,
3: Jeff's pain. We can just keep calling. Right,
2: right. And in the meantime, Jeff, you know, he's gotten himself worked up into this tizzy about it. It's like, it, You know, Laura, how you kind of go crazy when you're trapped in that customer service phone vortex.
3: Yeah, like when the internet cable kind of thing goes down and you call and they say, press five, and can you see the green blinking lights? And oh, you have a (laughs) Mac, you know, half an hour into it. And you really just want someone rational to come along and fix it.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I felt that frustration when I was talking to Jeff. So we actually, you know, while we were on the phone, we called Julia Gordon at the Center for Responsible Lending and She basically said to Jeff, you know, if it helps, you're not the only one.
5: It's extremely common. Servicers have been overwhelmed since this crisis started. There has been a lot of uncertainty about what their policy is, how they make a decision about whether to modify a loan, um, how they obtain permission from the holder of the loan, particularly if the loan has been securitized into a mortgage-backed security.
4: Hey, Julia, can I, yes. can I interject? If I could just ask you, uh, my, my understanding is that it would be incentivized to the tune of 50 cents on the dollar for every dollar they were able to reduce my mortgage by, by lowering the interest rate. I would think we're very good candidates for this. I mean, we put 20% down on our mortgage. It's a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage. You know, we've always been on time. We've never been in default on anything. I'm an educated person with a with a pretty good chance, I would think, in the future of, uh, of being paid more than I'm being paid now. I would think they would be greatly incentivized to want to keep a performing loan on their books and people
5: in their homes. That has been the mystery that's plagued us throughout this crisis. The servicers aren't the owners of the loan. They're they're not the creditor. They're, they're contractors. They're basically paid to manage the accounts. They're a collection agency. They're a collection agency. And, you know, there's always been the hypothesis that servicers... Don't uh, get paid for doing loan modifications. They do get paid for doing foreclosures. So, from a business perspective, they would choose to do the foreclosure. Um, you know, now the plan does offer financial incentives for doing the loan modification. If they're still not happening, you know, to me it points more toward their lack of infrastructure to handle this situation. And I wonder, you know, what the what the program can do to help with that problem.
3: What I hear going on here, Hannah, is that we have our listener, Jeff, and he's sitting over with one side of the problem. He's got a problem with the mortgage and he writes for help. And that appeal for help goes behind the curtain. And we can't see behind that curtain because we can't see the inner workings of one of these mortgage servicers very easily. But... Chris Arnold, who's been working with Planet Money on a story about this very kind of thing, has been behind that curtain. And the situation back there looks kind of like this. You're looking at 6 million homeowners in the U.S. who are flirting with foreclosure in some way. And in about half those cases... The best research, Chris Arnold tells us, is that foreclosure benefits no one, no one in about 3 million cases. It's not the homeowners, it's not the families, because they're out on the street, and it's not the lenders because they're stuck with a house no one wants. So it would be better for everyone most of the time to rework the mortgage so you keep a roof over the family's heads and some kind of monthly payment rolling in for the banks. Most of the time, that is still not happening.
2: Yeah, so clearly something is not working, but there is this one company that's reworking lots and lots of mortgages. Its name is Aquin, and Chris Arnold and our Alex Bloomberg paid them a visit recently in their headquarters, um, and then we brought them into the studios to play us some tape and tell us about it.
1: The place itself is this sort of—it's this big building. It's in South Florida, and it's on this it's in this sort of like strip mall industrial park basically and actually our hotel was in the same exact office park as this as this uh as aquan this big servicer and so we actually sort of walked across the little um we walked across the parking lot and over the parking lot barrier and through the shrubbery and then we had to go past this other big um abandoned office building that was also part of this office park and then we t- rounded the corner and there was aquan
6: which is a totally nondescript random part yeah. of central Florida. You know.
1: And basically, we, we, we heard a lot of um, what happens here, which is that there's a lot of people in this call center, and they're just like fielding phone calls from borrowers who um, are, are behind on their payments and are trying to, trying to work something out.
7: There's so far today, almost 3,000 calls have come in just to home retention. It's 3.30. <laughs>
1: so this is um, Danny Chapone, and he's a manager at Aquin, uh, where you and I visited
6: recently, right? Yeah. You know, it, this is like the engine room of the foreclosure crisis. I mean, this is like the machinery of it. And the, the people here said that generally most people who call are
1: in very serious um, financial straits. And so they can't pay. They're, they're, they're falling behind on their payments and they need to work out some sort of deal. Um, and the people at Aquan say they can they can often work something out.
6: Right. I mean what what they do is that they most often they'll they'll lower the interest rate. So you know, some of these people are paying ten or eleven percent or twelve percent, you know, interest on, on a house that's not really that expensive. So you know if you cut their rate down to four or five percent, you know, a dramatic rate cut can like cut their payment in half. So it's like right there, just by changing the terms of their loan, you can stop one of these foreclosures from happening, you can stop, you know, a hundred thousand dollars in losses for whoever, you know, is, is is on the hook for that loan.
1: Right. And they won't do it if somebody has just like totally lost their job and lost any ability to pay. Sometimes there's nothing to do but foreclose. But in most cases, there's if, if the borrower has some kind of money, some kind of income, there's a, there's a way
6: they can cut a deal. You know, but what, what's interesting about visiting this company is that they seem to be figuring it out. I mean, in in 75% of the cases of, of all of the loans that they're managing that run into trouble, they give them a repayment plan or a loan modification where they keep them in their home. And, and you know, 25 percent of the time they end up foreclosing or in some way the, the people have to hand over the keys. But, you know, I mean, that's just so much better, I guess, for lack of a better word, than what the rest of the industry is doing. I mean, it's just kind of amazing that, you know, OK, for the rest of the industry, I think it's one in 10 Loans that are in trouble actually get a loan modification. Here, 75% of the time, they're doing a loan modification.
1: You know, they, we went into this room where this woman showed us like what they do when, they, when the borrower calls. They collect all this information, and they feed it into this big database that they have. And the system basically, I, I, I sort of thought about like the Bat computer in the old Batman shows. Like They basically feed in all this data, and then the, 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 the computer sort of spits out how much it would cost to, to modify a loan versus how much it would cost to foreclose. And the, the computer has all sorts of data about like how much the house is worth and how much houses in this area in the zip code are worth and how much it costs to go through the foreclosure process, how many months it takes. And it factors all that stuff in and it spits out two numbers, the cost of foreclosure versus the cost of modification. And almost always the cost of modification is, is lower. So it's cost more to foreclose. And now just remember, most mortgages were bundled into these securities called mortgage-backed securities, and these securities were bought by lots of different institutions, banks, insurance companies, pension funds, school districts, credit unions, you know, retirement accounts. And as all these foreclosures are happening, these investors who bought these bonds, you know, back in 2004, 2005, thinking they're just going to get this regular payment every every six months or every year or every month or whatever it was, all of a sudden they're not getting that payment or the payment is less than they thought. And so they too are now calling Aquin. And when they do, they talk to a guy named Chris Simmons in investor relations.
7: Uh, You know, two, three, four years ago, we never heard from bondholders. Never. Like these teachers, credit unions and different, you know, state pensions and that kind of thing. You never heard from them because everything was performing and they were getting their check every month and it was no big deal. Now... You know, their, their cash flows are affected and they want to understand well how are you servicing how are you doing this and you know why did you do this on this specific loan so it, it's been an interesting um, dynamic of seeing um, people who, who who you know previously didn't take a big interest and now all of a sudden are, are very interested
1: and it's and literally they get to like a specific loan they'll be like why did you modify that one that one person's loan
7: yeah and, and it's not just modifications it's it's um it can be a short sale. You know, uh, why did you accept you know this much money on a short sale?
1: It sounds like to me like that is like the the bondholder equivalent of like counting your pennies.
7: Yeah, uh, you know, and 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 they would you know to to maybe you know defend their side of things. There's they have a lot of money wrapped up in this. And 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 again when you when you talk to a teacher's credit union, you realize that these are you know these aren't big, giant investment grade, you know, individuals with $25 million to invest. These are, this is mom and pop teacher. This is your mom and dad who have their pension wrapped up in this. And the guy who's running it is, is suddenly in the midst of an epic meltdown. And he's trying to understand, well, what's the service are doing that's affecting, you know, my investment. So, you know, I, we do try to handle it from that perspective and be very, you know, understanding and give them as much information as we can. Um, and try to help them understand. And again, a lot of times, these are people who are largely unfamiliar with the role of a servicer, uh, which you know I think up until maybe 18 months ago, the whole country was unfamiliar with the role of a servicer. Everybody knows that the economy, the company, everything. We don't want more foreclosures, you know. So here's what the option is: there are very few, you know, modify and make your payment, or we can just foreclose on everything. And and not only will you hurt as an individual company because you're going to take greater losses, uh, not only will Aquin hurt because it costs us more money to take it through the foreclosure and it's it's just a higher resource kind of resolution, but the economy in general is hurt.
6: And you know something he said right there. Uh, he said for Aquin, um, it's it's a higher resource resolution to foreclose, and that's actually pretty interesting because for the rest of the industry, I think it's the other way around. That um, to really figure this out, to really have enough collectors and Trained people to deal with this big, confusing mess because I mean that this is often used as an excuse. I mean, look, this huge, complicated problem. What are we supposed to do? And, and a lot of the loan servicers, it sounds like, just weren't staffed up and didn't have the computer systems and stuff in place. And, and this is where this company is different. I mean, they were kind of already there, and um, that's because right. they were the distressed debt guys. Right? I mean, they, they've specialized in kind of the messy, at risk of foreclosure loans for years and years and years. Right.
1: Right. I mean, if you think about like what what people have told us is that like most other servicers out there, like Wells Fargo has a servicing division. Citibank has a servicing division. It's a division attached to a bank and they just weren't set up for this this sort of this this crisis. They were like walking around with no raincoat hoping it never rained. In good times they can collect the check, they can pass it on to the bondholder, but in bad times they just don't have the system to sort of figure out well, what makes sense here. Can we do, are we losing more money? Are we making more money? And so they're just sort of in this default mode where they foreclose even though it's not in their best interest.
3: We'll link to the piece that Chris Arnold and Alex Bloomberg produced about this for This American Life over the weekend. It'll be on our blog at npr.org slash money.
2: And now fire trucks. Um, we recently heard from Lieutenant Bob Greiner, Niles Fire Department just north of Chicago. He's been there for several years. Yeah, and
3: I don't know what it's like where you folks out there in the Planet Money audience live, but to me, when the fire truck is behind you with the siren going, you expect to see people getting out of the way. <laughs> or at least trying to. Exactly, diving for the curb or something. But here is what Lieutenant Bob Greiner says he's been looking at.
0: You know, they give us the number one salute with their hand, if you know what I mean. Um, things like that, they, they just thought uh, they don't, they don't, want us around until they need us, for example.
3: <laughs> so, Hannah, do people do that kind of thing in Seattle?
2: No, no. Seattle, nice code says giving someone the birdie is not very kind. You would should rather um, write them a strongly worded note. That's more <laughs> Seattle style. <laughs> okay. Griner says maybe it's just that people around Chicago are in a hurry, but then
3: more recently came this big slowdown, and not just the slowdown in, in traffic, but really the slowdown, the global recession, and Suddenly, he and the other firefighters at his station noticed something unusual was going on. He says they kept talking about it between calls around the firehouse kitchen table.
0: We started talking about, wow, they were pretty nice on that call. Those people were really helpful. You know, did you notice how everyone's pulling over? This is kind of different. We're not used to this. because We're used to really having to push our way through to, to be able to do our jobs. And uh, it's getting easier for us,
3: actually. Griner says he expected the recession to cause more of like a survival of the fittest kind of thing. And so far, at least, he says he's seeing something that's a lot more pleasant.
0: I mean, you go to our community park, in the past there would be nobody there. Um, On Mother's Day, for example, the park was full and people were just having picnics and just hanging out in the neighborhood doing cookouts before everybody would go out to to lunch or dinner and things like that. So you can see um, throughout the community people are making changes and almost, I want to say, making our lives a little simpler And I think it's coming back to family, sort of. And maybe that's why I'm seeing what I'm seeing in the communities.
3: Folks out there in the Planet Money crowd... We often read the same statistics you're seeing about people cooking at home more or using libraries more. But it is so great for us to see real life the way Bob Greiner does or the way you do, wherever you are.
2: Tell us what you're seeing and send us pictures. We love your economy pictures. And we don't just love them. We need them. We use them all <laughs> the time
3: on our blog, npr.org slash money. And if you don't send them in, we're looking at a world of text or else Getty photos of Donald Trump. And I'm telling you, we don't want that. So send pictures, you guys. You can email them to us, planetmoney at npr.org. You can put them on our Flickr page. It's linked right off the blog. Planet Money really is not Planet Money
2: without you. So we will be watching The Inbox and back podcasting Wednesday. I'm Khana Jaffe-Waltz. And I'm Laura Conaway. Thanks for listening. So we
3: decided that it would be in your
1: best interest if we put you somewhere where you could get the help that you need. I go... Hey, what are you talking about? We decided my best
6: interest. How do you know what my best interest is? How can you
0: say what my best interest is?